0: Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. Last week we started a a two-part series, prayer. The first one was listen, this one is speak. So um, I want to speak to you about speaking in prayer. Now last week we spoke about listen and uh, how many of us realise that it's important to take time to listen to God? It really is. And did you know that you don't have to be an expert to listen to God? Uh, I remember when I was a, I was not even a Christian and God was just leading me and I was following him. I didn't realize I was doing it. You do not need a Bible college degree to follow God or even to listen to him. And how many of us also understand and realize that your relationship will improve with God when you speak time, spend time with him? Do you understand that? awesome. There's like four of you. I'm glad I preached so well last week. So uh, anyway, um, I'm going to read a scripture to you this morning. It comes out of Matthew. We're going to get stuck straight into it. Here's what it says. Uh, this is Jesus saying this, by the way. He says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. They're just non-Christians, okay? So so don't heap up words like they do uh, to their other gods and so forth, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Come on, let's pray together this morning. God, we thank you that we can just come into your house, read your word, and learn more about you. And Father, I pray that is exactly what happens today. Lord, there are people in this place that want to draw near to you. I know that they do. I pray that happens today. I pray for a spirit of revelation over this place this morning so that as I'm speaking, Lord, you're just unlocking stuff in people's hearts and in people's minds. Lord, you say in your word that if we want to draw near to you, we should seek you with all of our heart. And Lord, I believe that when we seek you with all of our heart, we will find you because that's what you say. And so, Father, may we do that this morning. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. So um, a number of years ago, I watched a documentary on television. And it was a documentary uh, by Jamie Oliver. And, you know, he's kind of declared war on every takeaway place in the universe. So anyway, he is, um, you know, has this show running and, and they did an autopsy on two people, uh, two men. And they put them side by side. And the whole idea of the show is to show you how healthy they are. So they had one man who was uh, quite overweight and they had another man that was quite thin. And as they began to do the autopsy, uh, you started to see, of course, there wasn't a huge surprise to people that the man that was overweight um, had more fat on his body. And yes, he was unhealthy, but also that was to be expected a little bit because you you could kind of tell by looking at him that he wasn't a really healthy person, you know? The the other person was the thin uh, person, and they did an autopsy. On that person as well, and as they began to, uh, you know, cut them open and so forth, there was really no fat. And uh, they looked fit, they looked healthy, they looked lean. But as they started to take some of their organs out and have a look at them, they discovered that actually all of their organs were failing and they were not healthy at all. And the whole point was to show you that actually sometimes, you know, you can't just see somebody that's thin and just assume that they're healthy on the outside and on the inside. And I think that that's such an important thing to remember because appearances can be deceiving. Appearances can be deceiving. And just because someone looks like they're really healthy on the outside doesn't necessarily mean that everything that's going on the inside is healthy. People can look one way, but actually if you were to look behind just what's on the surface, you might discover some really unhealthy things about them. And I was reading this scripture and I was thinking, you know, I reckon that's how the disciples must have felt. I mean, the disciples got to remember, these weren't guys that were priests in training. They were just, you know, had small businesses and tax collectors and other things. And I think about all the people that would have been surrounded by the, by the religious leaders of the day. And I mean, these religious Leaders, they were like 10 out of 10 amazing, holy, super religious, except I mean that in a good way, uh, super religious, holy people. They were dressed in the most uh, uh, amazing sort of uh, gear and the culture and the community. They looked up to them. In fact, many people aspired to be like them. You may not realize this, but there were literally thousands of priests in training because they wanted to be. Be more like these Pharisees, which were the religious leaders of the day. And so obviously people are seeing how impressive all of these people are. And naturally, I think they start to, because people are aspiring to be like them, I think it's just a natural thing that people do is they start to compare themselves to other people. And I was thinking about this and I was reading it and I thought, you know, I reckon there would have been so many people that were just comparing themselves to these super spiritual, amazing people. And if you were alive back then and just running a business and you're just a fisherman or whatever, to compare yourself to these people that the culture and the community just looked at and appreciated, honestly, you'd have to sort of think, I don't feel like I measure up to them. Since that's where people are headed and that's what people think is great, I just don't kind of measure up to them. Have you ever felt like you just don't quite measure up? Have you been surrounded by uh, people that are just, I don't know, maybe another class, but they're just, they're just a super version of you, maybe, and you don't quite measure up? And when you don't quite measure up, you kind of feel a bit out of place. Like, I could never do what those guys do. I could never do what those people are doing. Well, I tell you, I know exactly how that feels. You see, on the holidays, uh, I decided that I was going to take a class at the gym, now, Jim, they, they run lots of classes, you know, and, and it's covered in my gym membership. So I thought, you know what? I said to Sarah, I'm paying for this anyway. I'm going to go down and I'm going to do a class. It started at nine o'clock and it's called a CX Works class, all right? I didn't really know what that meant. <laughs> so I went down to the CX Works class and I was, honestly, I was a little bit late. So I walked in, and I spoke to the guy at the counter and I said to him, hey, listen, um, I just want to do the CX works class. He said, it's straight through those doors. And he had kind of like a little smile on his face. Anyway, he said, straight through those doors. I said, great, no problem. So I, I walked through the doors and I had committed to this. So I walked through the doors and I could hear the class had really just started, just started going in. And so I walked through the doors and immediately I realized I was out of place. I was the only guy in the room. And I was not wearing spandex. And I walked in and they are all lying out on the ground. And there's a lot of movements that I thought, that looks uncomfortably wrong. <laughs> they, uh, I won't do it. And so, and so they're all lying out and they just, everyone looks at me because I walked in late. So they looked at me and I just saw, I thought, you can't back out now. Like you've committed to this. So... Just go and get what you need. So I started looking around for what they had and I just looked at the ground. I'm like, I need weights, I need a mat and I need that elastic thing with the handles. So so I went and I grabbed those things and they were hidden all over. the. They're not all in the same place. So I'm like, excuse me, have you seen those rubber bands? They're like, they're over there. So I went and got them and I got everything and I had to find my place. I wanted to find my place in the room. There was um, one place left in the dead center of the room. So <laughs> while all this... Um, thrusting motion is happening. I'm walking through. I'm not kidding. That's true. And I'm walking through and I'm like, excuse me, excuse me. And I lay out my mat and I lay down with everyone else and I'm telling you, I felt out of place. And then it was only compounded by the fact that the lady that leads it, man, she was excited. And when she was leading it right, she's like, all right, everybody, on your feet. And she says something and everyone's right. They know what to do. They get their bands and they're stepping like this. And All right. And, and, and I am like the guy out of time with everyone that looks like a complete idiot and I'm like yep and then we step like this yep and I don't know I have no idea what I'm doing right I felt so uncomfortable I'm like I don't you know what I'm like, I don't belong here I will never go back right I was saying oh for love of God let no one from church walk in right now so that's how I felt and, and, and so anyway, um, I, I got out of that class. Oh, by the way, let me tell you something about that CX words class. It is so hard, right? And, and I know you can judge me. It's fine. Judge me if you want, right? But this is the only thought that kept me going. I'm the only man in this room, and there is no way these chicks are going to beat me, right? So I'm, I'm like, I'm, but, but honestly, on the inside, here's what I'm really saying. I'm saying, for the love of God, why does she keep going? Like, I, I, I didn't actually take, check the time of the class. So I thought it could have been an hour, and I knew we we're coming up to half an hour. And I'm like, let this be a half an hour class. And they got to the end and, and I just walked out and my arms were dead, you know, and I had to sort of like shake the blood back into them to drive the car home, right? But let me tell you, it was crazy. It was hard. It was out of place. Everyone knew what they were doing. They were experts. I was not. And I kind of, Think, you know, maybe that's how the disciples and the people that were just walking around the streets felt when they saw these super religious, amazing people that were able to deliver these incredible prayers. And they'd say, man, we just could never be like those people. We could just never be like those people. And so Jesus, in the scripture that I read to you, by the way, he's delivering the most amazing sermon you'll ever hear. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. You can read about it in Matthew chapter six. And, and so he's you know, telling them this, all this incredible uh, revelation. And he says something at this point, which probably just shocked everybody. Like when they heard this, they said, what are you serious? That's crazy, right? And here is what he says. He said, you know, those people that you see, that you aspire to be like, that you compare yourself with, that you think you can never measure up to, that you're out of place and look how incredible they are. He says the opposite. He says, you must not be like them. You must not be like them. And can you imagine hearing this for the first time? They're like, but that's the goal. I mean, there's literally thousands of people training to be like them. And you, Jesus, you come and you say that it should be our goal that we should never be like them. Don't ever confuse holiness with hypocrisy. Don't confuse holiness with hypocrisy. These guys, they looked healthy on the outside, but on the inside, they were not healthy. What they were doing was not authentic. In fact, he called them hypocrites. Jesus most famously said one time, these guys are whitewashed tombs. Do you know what a whitewashed tomb is? Uh, On the outside, they looked beautiful. They'd clean them up on the outside. But you know what a tomb is used for? It's for burying dead people. And what he said is, he said, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they were like whitewashed tombs. On the outside, they looked beautiful. On the inside, they're full of death. And Jesus not only said that, but he said, you should avoid these people. In fact, did you know that if you were to be walking, uh, you know, I don't know, through the countryside or whatever, and you stepped on a tomb, a whitewashed tomb, without actually realizing it, you were ceremonially unclean? And so he said, you should avoid the Pharisees the same way you avoid whitewashed tombs. In other words, he was actually saying, you know, if you just hang around these people, you'll probably become just as unclean as they are. And this is the guys that everyone is looking up to. They're the amazing people that people are aspiring to be like. Jesus said that they would stand. Of course you stand. People can see you when you stand. And they stand on the street corners and they'd begin to pray and they'd be saying all these amazing prayers. And really essentially what they're doing is saying, hey, everyone, look at me. I am a big deal around here. Do you see what I'm wearing? Have you heard my prayers? In fact, Jesus said the same thing to them about the way that they fast. He said when they fast, they would, you know, look average and they would look unclean and they'd talk about how hard it is to not eat food and all the rest of it. Do you know why they did that? So the people that were there would say, you are just amazing people. You are so impressive to us. We could never measure up to you. You you holy religious people, I am so impressed with how you fast and how you pray and all the rest of it. He said, don't be like them. He said, don't be like the Pharisees. I mean, the, 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 um, uh, the Gentiles who just keep speaking but don't actually say anything of value. They're just heaping up empty phrases. And they think that God will care because they've said so much. And yet God doesn't seem to care. You can say a lot without really saying anything to God. And Jesus is kind of pointing this out at this this point right now. And what they're really saying is they're saying, look at me, I'm dedicated. Look at me, I know really big words when I pray. I know big words. I can say propitiation and I know what it means. I know the word sanctification. I can say it in Hebrew for you if you like. Justification, just ask me. I know big words. I can say big prayers. In fact, I know all the kinds of prayers. I know the prayer of, I can pray in agreement with God. I can pray and go into warfare I know the, I can bind things and loosen other things. Have you ever been in a prayer meeting with someone like that? They keep binding things. You know what? When you're in a prayer meeting, when they just keep binding everything. I'm like, I wonder if we could just, like, bind your mouth. Anyway, because <laughs> you're spending so much time binding anything. There's no time for anything else. Let's just, all right, let's just, can we just circle? Let's draw a circle around everything we want to bind. Just, you know, maybe prepare. I don't know, but, but like... You know, so, so they would say these big words and, and pray these eloquent prayers and, and all the rest of it. And, and you know, they, they would know how to consecrate, dedicate, praise, worship, all these incredible things. And Jesus says to them at this point, man, these guys who are praying in public that are doing an amazing job. He said they've got their reward already. Do you know what their reward was? The accolades of people. They're impressing people. Now, I don't know what you're looking for when you pray. But I'll tell you something. I don't care too much for the accolades of people. I would much rather have answers from God. If your reward for just heaping up empty phrases and knowing big words and praying eloquently and doing it all, but it's all on the outside and there's nothing going on on the inside, you've got your reward already. You've impressed people. Congratulations, but I don't want that. What I would want would really be for God to begin to answer me. And so Jesus says to them, He says, when you pray, shut the door, pray to your Father in secret and He'll see you in secret and He'll reward you. And the thing about God when He rewards you is that oftentimes He'll reward you publicly. I would rather people not say, wow, you're an incredible prayer. That's so impressive to me. I would rather God do such an amazing work in me and around me and in our church and all the rest of it, that people would be left with their jaws wide open and they'll say, that must be God because He's not that good. I would rather have an answer from heaven that impresses everyone else and I say nothing. It's so much better than having to do all the self-promotion. But he says, you know what? you got to get in secret and pray to God and cultivate something that's actually real. See, prayer is the private practice that brings public reward. Prayer is the private practice that brings public reward. When he said in secret, when he says pray in secret, he just means you should pray in private. And by the way, he's not denouncing public prayer. He's just saying if your entire prayer life consists of public prayer and it's a show to impress other people, you have missed the point of prayer altogether. It's not about impressing people at all. John Wesley said, prayer is where the action is. Prayer is where the action, and he would know. He said, prayer is where the action is. And I'm like, Really? It doesn't always feel like that to me. I mean, it's just me, or has anybody else ever been attacked by the sleep demon? Yes. Like like you're praying. Have you ever been praying and then you went, Oh my gosh, I don't know, I drifted off there. And suddenly you realize that in the middle of your your prayer was so deep you fell asleep. It was so deep. And he just went, I did not mean to do that. And it's easy to feel bad about that stuff. But let me tell you something, right? If my kids were so tired, they're in a conversation with me and they fell asleep, man, I'd probably just think they were cute. I'd pick them up, put them to bed, give them a kiss. I'll say, we'll pick this up when you wake up. See, the thing is about, uh, about uh, when, when it comes to the issue of prayer is that I think that, that, that John Wesley was probably onto something. The prayer is where the action is. Do you know why that's where the action is? Because that's when, when you begin to speak, things begin to shift, things that you could never move on your own. I think that's why John Wesley said, prayer is where the action is. And I reckon Jesus must have thought the same thing as John Wesley. In fact, there's always times when Jesus would disappear to pray. Let me read to you a couple of these. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Hey, maybe if the sleep demon is getting to you in the morning, just go for a walk. I guarantee you, you won't sleep during walking. All right. This is what Jesus would do. He would get up. He'd leave the house. He'd go for a walk. He'd do something a little bit energetic, but he'd go and he'd begin to pray by himself. After he dismissed them, he went on the mountainside by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone sounds like he wasn't being overwhelmed with entertainment. He was just happy to spend time in the presence of God alone. On one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God the whole night. I'm going to just tell you, I have never done that. I've prayed, but I've never spent the whole night in prayer. I don't know if anyone here has. He withdrew to about a stone's throw beyond them and knelt down and prayed. Jesus had a practice of continuing to withdraw from the masses and from groups of people so that he could just go and spend time with God all by himself. And the disciples saw that. And that's not the only thing that they saw. When they saw Jesus and they saw the Pharisees, they saw people that would speak and be religious, but they didn't seem to speak with the same authority that Jesus did. See, when Jesus showed up, they said, who is this that speaks with authority? By contrast to everyone that they presently knew. Because they said, this guy is different. And I think the disciples saw that and they said, wow, we would love to know what are you doing? Could you teach us to pray like you pray? And he says, yes, I would love to teach you to pray. And so he goes on to teach them what's become known as the Lord's Prayer. Only it's not the Lord's Prayer. It's really the disciples' prayer. Because in the middle of the Lord's Prayer, you know what he says? Forgive us of our sins. Jesus never had to say that. So it really is the disciples' prayer. He said, here's a prayer template for you. Begin to share this and share this around and speak it out and follow this pattern that i'm going to create for you you see prayer is an extremely powerful thing for you to do it's extremely powerful but there's there's just one catch there's just one catch to prayer you got to actually speak some of you are like i cannot believe i got up on sunday morning to hear that yeah yeah we know that it seems so simple. It seems so obvious, doesn't it? And yet, if it's so simple and obvious, why is it that so many Christians struggle to pray and spend time with God? Why is it that New Year's resolutions often include prayer? Oh, I'm pray more this year. I'm definitely praying more this year. Because it's always something we think, you know what? I'm not spending enough time doing that. Why is it so difficult for people to cultivate a, a solid spiritual prayer life with God, just like Jesus had? It seems so simple, and yet, for some reason, it seems so difficult. You know what? I think there are a number of reasons why it's so difficult for people to pray, right? So all I want to do, I'm going to tell you a couple of them this morning. And the first one is simply this, is that you never feel like you've got the time. I spoke about this last week. You never feel like you've got the time to do it. Welcome to this, this year. Welcome to this century. I know something about you. You're busy. Um, I'm busy too. And in fact, what I'm saying is, is that I don't try to find spare time. I'm saying to you, you need to make time. If, if you want to know what your priorities are, just tell me what you did this week and it'll be a reflection of what you're actually giving time to. Tell me what you're doing this whole month and it'll be a reflection of what you're giving time to. And here is the crazy part about the issue of time. If you don't think you have time to pray, I'm telling you, you don't have time to not pray because you can spend so much of your life trying to figure out things that God can solve In a moment, you could spend six months strategizing how you're gonna make your next business decision. I don't know how to get from here to there. uh, We're struggling with our bills. We're struggling here. We're struggling there. I don't have time to pray. You don't have time not to pray because when you come and give your time to God, He solves what you cannot solve. He does what you cannot do. You are better off spending time in prayer than trying to just figure everything out on your own. You don't have time not to pray. So make it a priority because it's important for you. Here's the second one, false expectations. I know that some people, when you go to pray, I don't know what you expect. I know sometimes I've expected God to speak and, and, and incredible things, but sometimes that hasn't always happened for me. False expectations. You go, you pray, you walk away from it. It's a total letdown to you you feel like all you've done is just speak words into the air for the last 10, 20 minutes, whatever you've done. And you're like, I don't even know if this is making a difference. And so you sort of like get a bit disillusioned because your expectations, it's, it's lower than your expectations. Let me give you a story about expectations. One time God told me, this is true. This is a little weird, but true. So he said, I want you to go and um, climb up Mount Sugarloaf. It's not much of a climb. I've used that term a little liberally. Uh, but climb up Mount Sugarloaf, which is the Cathedral Range, it's about an hour and a half from my house, and I want you to go up there and spend time with me. I'm like, oh boy, something's gonna happen. Oh, the heavens are gonna open. Oh, the presence of God will fall. This is gonna be great. I'm excited, man. I'm driving. I'm driving. I get there, I get up to the top, right? Two hours later, I'm like, well, I'm here. Uh, God, I've prayed. I've reached my word limit for the day. I have nothing more to say. I think I've told you everything that I can possibly say. And now I'm just waiting and I'm listening and I don't hear anything, right? And you know, the truth is, is that day I got back in my car and I drove home and I never worried about a thing because I've learned that something happens when you just be obedient. So I'd rather be obedient in the moment and see God do something later on. He doesn't always have to do it in my timing. And I've found that prayer is often like that. I'm sitting in my room, I'm praying, I've said, I've listened, I didn't hear anything. I get on with my day. And about halfway through my day, suddenly God will speak to me in a moment with such clarity. And I suddenly realize, and everything that I was praying about this morning will be unlocked. God doesn't have to work to my time schedule. So prayer, when it comes to false expectations, let me just make something simple for you. You can't fail when you just do it. So just do it. You can't mess it up. It works as long as you're praying. So you pray, you listen, and then you just move on. All right, that is the second reason. Here's the third reason. And I think this is probably one of the biggest reasons why people struggle with prayer. Are you ready for it? Guilt and condemnation. Guilt and condemnation. How many people do you know that just simply avoid the presence of God because they know there's not things right in their life? And they messed up and crossed a boundary that they said that they'd never cross. And they feel bad about it. And so you know what happens when you come into the presence of God, right? You try to pray without confessing that sin. It is the elephant in the room. And so rather than just name it, just don't go into the room. Just don't pray. It's the easiest way to avoid your guilt. Can I tell you something about guilt? It doesn't disappear. It doesn't go away. And here is the thing that you need to realize about this you're saved by grace through faith in Christ. Even on your best day, when you feel like you've nailed it, you're like, I don't even think I sinned today, right? You're like, pride. You know, it's like, try, seriously, try to get through one day without mucking up. Do you know? Oh, Do you know it's not your behavior that brings you into the throne room of God? Do you realize that it's not your good behavior, your works and all the rest of it that brings you into the presence of God? You're saved by grace through faith in Christ. Do you understand something that you are justified? And justification is this word that actually means that God, what He did is He sent Jesus to die for your sin. And then you got His perfect life. He took on your sinful one and he was punished for your sins, but you got his perfect life on you. So when you enter into the presence of God, if you've given your life to Jesus, when he sees you, the favor on Jesus is the favor on you. When he sees you, when you walk into his presence, right? He doesn't just look at you and and all he wants to get to is straight away your guilt and your sin, and it's like all the rest of it. He's not gonna, he doesn't say that it, you're forgiven. You still should confess your sins, but you've got to understand that you stand forgiven. So guess what? You're going to mess up tomorrow. You're going to make a mistake next week. Fine. I'm so glad we can come into an understanding where we both know you're going to do that. Now, please, can you get over that and get back into your prayer room? Because the earth needs your prayers. Because... God wants to speak to you. You're saved by grace through faith in Christ. And I think about all of this and all of these reasons why people really struggle with prayer. And I wonder if you've ever considered, have you ever really even thought about why these things pop up? Have you ever really wondered why you're not tired till the moment you start to pray? Or why you're not distracted? until the moment you start to speak and why you think you can avoid guilt if you just don't go to God. Have you ever wondered why? Have you ever considered the fact that these thoughts are actually designed to keep you from the presence of God, that they're by design? In other words, those prayers Or those thoughts are there and they're designed to stop your prayers. John Wesley said that God does nothing except in response to believing prayer. You need to know something. The enemy of your soul, the devil, he understands the power of the spoken word, he understands the power of your prayers. So he will discourage you from praying. He's gonna discourage you at every point from speaking. You know why? Because if you're a Christian and you know who you are in Christ, speaking is one of the most dangerous things you could ever do. Because while you can't leverage much on your own, When you begin to pray, something supernatural happens that's beyond your abilities. And it's one of the most devastating things you can do to the kingdom of hell. That's why Jesus said, man, I'm gonna teach you how to pray disciples. Because if there's one thing you really need to know, you need to know how to pray. You need to know how to speak and you need to do it. And so Jesus is giving this sermon on the Mount And there's a passage where His disciples come up and they say, can you teach us how to pray? And He says, yeah, no problem. And Jesus opens with these words that would have astounded the hearers. Everyone that was listening to Jesus just heard what He said and they couldn't believe it. And if you understand what Jesus said in that moment, it will transform how you think about prayer. It'll transform your relationship with God completely. He opened with words that were absolutely crushing to the devil, absolutely crushing to everything he's trying to do. And I'm gonna read those words to you right now. He begins with these words, Our Father, our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. We're going to forgive other people that sin against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. When Jesus said this prayer, it would have been absolutely shocking to the people that heard it. You see in your Bible, if you just look it up and read it, it says the word Father. But actually the words that Jesus used in that moment was the word Abba. And you probably know what that means. If you've been in church for a little while, it means, it actually means Daddy. It means Daddy. And it is the most intimate of terms to be used between a father and his child. And He's saying, you know what? You've got to understand something when you approach God. Maybe you felt estranged from Him. Maybe you didn't measure up to those Pharisees. You didn't know all those words. You're not eloquent. You can't speak like that. Let me tell you something, none of that matters. When you start to pray, you say, Daddy, you know why? Because he wants you to know that that's what he thinks about you. He wants you to know that he loves you. He wants you to be his child. No one called God daddy. The Pharisees, they never called God daddy. They would never ever say that. It's an intensely relational term. And God was always kept at a distance only in this prayer. Jesus brings the Father so close. You see, prayer is not about the words that you speak. It's about who you are. Prayer is not about the words that you speak. It's actually about who you are. See, your authority comes by being God's Son. Your authority. So when you begin to pray, when you begin to speak, maybe you don't know all the eloquent prayers. Maybe you say, I can't do that. Maybe you compare yourself to other people. And I'm saying to you this morning that that's not necessary because your authority to speak, your authority to pray, to begin to declare, to say things, like when you see other people do it, it doesn't come from the fact that they have remembered these things and and remembered these amazing prayers. Authority comes by being a son. Did you know that you're part of a royal priesthood? If you're God's Son, you are, have been adopted into His family. And when you speak, you speak on behalf of heaven. And the devil would fight to keep this from you. Just don't speak. Don't say anything. Keep your mouth shut. Do anything you want. Oh, But f- you know, please, 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 just don't pray. Don't figure out that God's forgiven you. Don't figure out that you don't have to avoid Him and, and, and avoid the guilt and the condemnation. If you, if you have ever had a friend in your life, or you have a friend right now, and you know what it's like to speak to them, well, then you already know how to pray. You don't need to learn anything special. You don't need to be anything special. You don't need to compare yourself to anyone else. You don't need to heap up lots of words and just keep saying stuff, so you think it makes a difference. Man, God looks into your heart. God knows where you're at. He knows when you mean stuff. So if you know how to speak to a friend, you already know how to speak to God. You speak to Him like you speak to a friend. Only this, you remember who you're speaking to. But that's how you do it. It's not hard and it's not difficult, but if you don't figure this out, you could spend a long time not having a prayer life. And I'm telling you, it's one of the things that Jesus wanted to teach to His disciples the most. Here's what you need to do. You need to start speaking. You just need to start speaking. Start speaking with God. Like every day, start speaking with God. Start speaking to your circumstances. Start speaking over your health. Start speaking over your family start speaking life to people that have been struck down with sickness and disease and illness. Start speaking life over them. But the thing that you've got to do is you've got to speak. You've got to to open your mouth. You've got to say something because while you don't say anything, listen, the devil is not worried about any Christian that keeps their mouth shut live an isolated life in your house never sell people who you are and never pray to God and you are the least threatening person on the planet but when you discovered who you've been created to be in Christ and you start to speak to those situations declare what's going on speak to cancer speak to sickness speak to disease and you start to speak to these things and then God begins to shift and move oh man Oh man, then you just crossed the line. You started to do something that you could never do on your own. See, when you speak, heaven moves. And you can never do the things that you've been called to do on your own, that's fine. That's why God gave you a mouth to speak. So start speaking, start speaking, start praying, start approaching God. Did you know that prayer has preceded every great revival on the earth? It's preceded every great revival. See, here is the way that God works. He can do everything anytime He wants. He's sovereign, but He wants you to be involved in it. He wants you to speak. Why do you think revival comes after prayer? Because He said, I'm gonna answer you. If you want answers, you've got to start asking. Jesus, I mean, James said, He says, you have not because you ask not. So you've got to start asking you got to start praying. you got to not give up. you got to not be talked out of it. Don't suffer from guilt. Make time for it. Don't live with false expectations, but just start speaking and see what God does on the earth. Did you know that the Bible says that, His, that, that prayer is mighty to the pulling down of strongholds? There are people that struggle with patterns of thinking. We know that. We give names to those organisations like Beyond Blue. Did you know that, that, that your prayers are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. Did you know that the prayers of the righteous avail us much when you pray? And by the way, if you know, if you've given your life to Jesus, you're righteous, not because of what you do, but because of what He's done. So my point is simply this. You just start speaking and you see what God does in your life. You with me? Are you with me? Start speaking. Are you with me? Awesome. Come on, let's stand together